Greetings in the name of Jesus. That great shepherd of the sheep who watches over us. But what is our response to him? That is a challenge of our lesson this morning. This, one of the hymns that we sang this morning is one of my favorites. Spirit of God, descend upon my heart. And there's a number of requests made to God in that song. And I hope that we sang it with understanding. And with that desire in our hearts. Wean it from earth through all its pulses move. Speak to my weakness, mighty as thou art, and make me love thee as I ought to love. Beautiful, beautiful, and so deep. May that be our prayer. <clears throat> Title of the message this morning is, And You Fathers. That's gleaned from a verse in Ephesians, Ephesians 6, 4. Ephesians 6, 4, it's, um, that is where I'm starting. Uh, I'm, I'm just sharing a lot of things from my heart. I'm not necessarily conducting an exegesis of Scripture this morning, but I want to challenge you who are fathers. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. <clears throat> People have different styles of parenting. Some are, are very uptight and very concerned about every detail. Others have a more relaxed approach to their parenting. And those things vary according to our personalities, but there are some basics that fathers need to do. And I dedicate to this sermon to those of you who are active fathers. Fathering is a challenge. Sometimes it's frustrating, but it can also be very rewarding and fulfilling. Fathering will have eternal effects, not only for your children, but also for many others and for the generations that follow. I'm often saddened as I think of the choices that people have made and how it affects not just them and their lives, but how it is affecting every generation that follows and how, the, how that influence spreads out. We have been blessed by many good decisions and worthy lives of those who went before us. And may we fill the role that we have well. One generation can lead the following generation into right ways and good ways or into ways that lead to destruction. <clears throat> Perhaps the most important 
foundation for good parenting is that parent's relationship to God himself. That's where it needs to start. If you walk with God, there's going to be so much that is passed on to your children. If you fail in that, there is so much wrong that will be passed on. Exemplifying the fruit of the Holy Spirit will shape the child's character and certainly increase the chance of a child accepting that as his own lifestyle. So be godly fathers. It is a great responsibility, but it is also a great blessing. Sadly, it seems like scripture has more bad examples of fathering than it has good examples. Maybe just some of the good examples are kind of assumed. You, you kind of see the product, you see the results of good fathering, but there are also many examples of poor fathering. <clears throat> We can learn from both the good and the bad. We can also learn from contemporary examples of parenting, either good or poor. In our culture, in my lifetime, I have seen our culture's concept of family degenerate drastically and it seemed like even in the last five years there was just huge sea change but I'm sure that the foundation for that was was being laid and no doubt it started before my time and there has always been a rejection of God and his values but it seems like that has just increased exponentially. And I warn you, fathers, don't look to our culture for your principles. Look to God. Look to his word. I'd like to read a number of passages that give directives for parents, for fathers, and uh, also that establishes principles that are applicable for all time. Just because our culture is changing doesn't mean that we should or that we need to. That somehow, you know, the, the uh, professionals, the, uh, those who are learned, those who have degrees after the name have the answers. They usually do not. They usually do not. Colossians 3.21, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. You can influence their perspective in life. 
And then the one that I read from Ephesians 6, 4, I'll repeat it. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. There's a positive and a negative. Don't do this, but rather than that, teach them about God and show them who he is and show them your commitment to him. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to God. That's a principle. A principle that our culture both ignores and militates against. Now what should parents have to say about the individual rights of a child? God has established that parents have the right and the authority and the responsibility to direct their children. Don't apologize for that. And it also gives us some direction as to how that can be accomplished. He who spares his rod hates his son. You know, people will say, oh, you're being mean to your children. Say, no, you are. He who spares his ro- the rod hates his children. But he who loves him disciplines him promptly. From Proverbs 13, 24. And from Proverbs 22, 15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. A child is by nature, by definition, an immature person. He does not have the perspective that is needed to make wise decisions. Parents, that is your responsibility. And if you do your job right, as this child grows and matures, you're in a continual process of, of granting him independence so that by the time he's ready to leave home, he is a person who can make wise decisions. But it doesn't start out that way. And those famous verses from Deuteronomy 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with, with all your soul and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart and you shall teach them your children, you should teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk with them when you sit in your house. When you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, it's a continual process. Pass it on. Pass it on. <clears throat> How much time do you devote to teaching your children the ways of God? responsibility and that can be in a formal setting where you say children let's sit down we want to talk about this the family altar having a time of bible reading a little bit of exposition according to their age according to their need but then there's so many opportunities in life where we we need to be careful that we don't go overboard about pointing. You know, you see John over there, 
look, he's in the position he is because he didn't, he's not following God's ways. I, I don't know that we should do that. And yet these topics do become, come up as a conversation. And we can point out the value of following God, the danger of rejecting God, the blessings of obeying what God says. Teach them to your children. Every opportunity. Pass on an awe and an admiration of God and his creation. You fathers, do it. <clears throat> One person in whose life it was apparently very effective, who came from a less than ideal situation, but when Paul was writing to Timothy, he said in 2 Timothy 3.15, he said, from, a child, from childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures. And apparently Timothy's father was an unbeliever. He calls him a Greek. And I don't think that was just referring to his nationality. I believe he was a pagan. And yet his mother and his grandmother were, were faithful followers of Jehovah. And they taught Timothy and exposed him to the teachings of others. And it had its effect. Child, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith that is in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> I'd like to make a number of real-life applications for you fathers and you fathers. And by the way, I think many of these apply to grandparents as well. <clears throat> one arrange your life so you have time to relate to your children someone has said children spell love T-I-M-E I recall the story of the man who was a godly man and devoted time to his family. But he had a neighbor, and his neighbor, they were both farmers, and his neighbor said, boy, it's taking you a long time to get out and get started on your chores this morning. Uh, you know, I've been out here for a couple hours already getting stuff done. And, and the man said, well, he said, the difference is you're raising pigs to sell. I'm raising children for the Lord. I challenge you to have as a goal to have individual interaction with each of your children every day. There may be times when that hardly works out. <laughs> I recognize, but have that as a goal. Make that your practice. Sometime, have an individual conversation with your child. There's no way that I can cover everything. <laughs> and you could have a sermon on every one of these points, I suppose. But maybe God can take something that we need and 
imprinted on our hearts. And I just jotted down a number of things as I think about parenting, my own experience, my own mistakes or perhaps successes. Just a number of things that I think can help us. Allow your children to learn from their own mistakes. Don't do away with all the consequences. They need to know that dangerous actions bring pain. Natural consequence, just the way it is. Um, they need to know that disobedience has consequences. It's not that you're expressing your wrath and anger, but you're teaching them a valuable lesson that wrong has consequences. That's one of God's principles, that sin has consequences. And the sooner a child can learn that, the better off they are. But that's true in, in the natural world, too, just in... Let, let children learn. I'm definitely not sympathetic with a woman that I knew in Puerto Rico who would not allow her children to have a bicycle because they might fall and hurt themselves. Yeah, they might. In fact, they will. But can I be so bold as to say that's good? There's a fine line between a parent exercising a reasonable caution and being what is known today as a helicopter parent. One who is constantly hovering over their children, making sure nothing bad happens to them and always taking up their part against anybody who might reprimand them, correct them. Um, we don't want to go there. And I'm not saying we should just throw caution to the wind and say, oh, well, you know, I just, there, there's a line there in the middle somewhere. And you'll have to decide where that is. Know the difference between a cry from a scratched knee and a broken arm. Some things we do need to take seriously. And we do need to try to avoid. But there are some things that I think we can just allow nature to take care of itself. I recently read the story of a boy who was creating problems in school. <clears throat> and I don't know where it was anymore. Maybe you read it. But uh, <clears throat> his parents became aware of the problem, and they sat down with him and said, look, uh, if this doesn't change, uh, there was an activity, a trip or something he was really looking forward to. But he said, if, they said, if, if, this, if things don't change, you will not be allowed to go on this activity. Well, things didn't change. And so they said, all right, you're not going. And he fussed and he, he begged. And, but he went on and after a while he realized, you know what, this, <laughs> this is really going to be what the consequences are. And uh, 
And you know what? He became a model student. And he changed his ways. And as the time approached for this activity, the teacher said, you know, this, this boy has just really become a different person. And, you know, maybe you should reconsider your, um, your decision. And the boy begged and pointed to his improved behavior. What would you do? The father said, we have given our word, and if we change now, he will know that he can manipulate people by changing temporarily. I'm not quoting his words. That's how I remember what he said. But I think he had a good point. In the long run, it'll be much better if we stick to our guns. And you fathers. Someone has said that parents should never bear the burden of a child's misbehavior when he can bear it himself. Make consequences clear and let the child decide. I am sure that that concept is completely foreign to the parents of those who grace the headlines of the crime stories in our news. That those children never had to bear the consequences of their actions from little up. I am sure. And you fathers, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Teach by example that God's way and will is best. When God has spoken, may there be no question where you stand. You know, God said this, and so this is what we'll do. And sometimes it's good if you can explain your thought processes. Some things are, you know, pretty clear. Other times you know, we, we need to appeal to the, the principles that are here and how this seems like a, a good way to apply it. I remember one time when I was a teenager, being out in the woods with my dad, and it was, there was, I think it was the day after a certain hunting season had gone out. I, I hardly remember the circumstances anymore, but anyway, it seemed like it was a squirrel there. I think squirrel season had just gone out. I said, oh, there's a squirrel, you know, can I shoot him? And it said, no, season's done, it's over. I'm glad, I'm glad that he stood on principle. We need to stand on principle and make it clear what those principles are to our children. T. 
teach by example that God's will and way is best. Have a true partnership with your spouse in child rearing. A real man needs to learn how to change diapers and how to comfort a crying child. It's not just mama's job. And how to whip some leftovers into a supper if he needs to. Not only are you being a tremendous support to your wife, but you're being a tremendous example to your children. And you men, and you fathers. Laid out in discussing with your spouse your individual concepts of child rearing and clarify out. You may have some different ideas, but talk about it, talk about it, and bring it to a conclusion. Say, well, okay, this is what we're going to do. Have an understanding. Be firm with children on the need to show respect for their mother and for you. Johnny, that wasn't right. You go apologize to your mother. Or we can, we respond with gentleness and kindness, but we need a level of firmness in dealing with disrespect. Never show favoritism. That doesn't mean that we treat our children identically. They're going to be different, but we need to treat them fairly, justly, and not favorites. I had to think of the, you know, the three original patriarchs and their home situations and you know, all of them had problems. You know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, it was, those terms are the, those three are identified all through the Bible as the, the founders of the Jewish nation of Judaism and yet they had their failures, you know Abraham and Sarah. God said, you know, Sarah's going to have a son, and it, I'm sure they understood it was through him, but they came up with another way to have a son. And Isaac and Rebekah, they, uh, they had these two boys, and yet they had their favorites, and they, um, they played them against each other. Uh, it just... Uh, terribly unfortunate situation and God could still work through those circumstances but it certainly didn't always have good results Jacob you know four wives at least 13 children and and the chaos and the discord that was a part of that home it doesn't need to be doesn't need to be. My dad used to say, there's no house big enough for two families. 
And while maybe we don't have to deal with that today, you know, back a couple generations, that wasn't uncommon. Or just because of, I guess, financial challenges that, you know, people set up housekeeping in the home of one of their parents. And I know where I grew up, it, uh, it was uh, multi-generational households were very common. And, and it was out in that context that my dad said there's no house big enough for two families. <clears throat> um, and you fathers take leadership. Just recently, I, somebody made the comment of a, a family from another culture that said it's a very matriarchal society, and grandma was the one that, um, that ran the show. And I don't like to use those terms, but if it, just to put it real bluntly, Dad, you need to run the show. Maybe there's a gentler way to say it. You need to exercise servant leadership. Maybe is a better way to put it. Serve, but lead. Correct children properly. A neglectful father is no better, is little better than no father at all. <clears throat> I had to think of what the Bible says about David's family. You know, he said he had this wife and this wife and this wife and this wife and this wife. And this, you know, this one had this child and this one had this child. And it doesn't really seem like he was very involved in the rearing of his children. He, he did have... He did write some things down, and so maybe that was verbally expressed as well. And yet, the Bible says this about one of his older sons, not the oldest, I don't believe, but it says, and this was as David was growing old. It says, Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen, 50 men to run before him. Quite a sight that would be, wouldn't it? Almost sounds like politicians today. And his father had not rebuked him at any time, saying, Why have you done so? What a, a telling indictment. His father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, Why have you done so? He was also very good looking. Is that the best thing that somebody can say about somebody? <laughs> the boy was used to having his own way. And that is the kind of man he became. Somebody that wanted his own way. And he finally paid for it with his life. There's a ditch on the other side, though, of talking about how we correct our children. We shouldn't just ignore them and let them do whatever they want, which is pretty much what our culture uh, promotes today. Some, though, correct their children with brutality or with scorn or with irritation. 
We need to discipline our children in love. Correct them properly. Teach them. And they're not always going to get it. Correct them in love, with gentleness, but firmness. And I know, it's so easy to say. It is a challenge to carry out. You won't always get it perfect, but do your best. Sometimes you have to go back and say, you know, Sally, I didn't get it right here. I'm sorry. Teach them proper relationships. Teach them how to choose friends and how to relate to them. I see this as an extreme challenge that, that we don't, I mean, I, I see children as they grow up developing relationships that lead them in the wrong direction. Or maybe they're influencing others in the wrong way. I knew a man who had a wayward son. He's been dead a number of years now, but uh, we were talking about it one, one time. And, and I asked him, what would you have done differently if you had it to do over? And almost immediately he said, I wouldn't have let him spend so much time with the neighbor boy. Well, he saw that as, as, a, uh, as a key to why his son had developed the way that he had. Maybe a lot of other things can come into play, but be watchful. Teach them proper relationships. Teach them the value of politeness and friendliness. Teach them the joy of going the second mile. Teach them the value of the church and the people in it. Make the church your extended family rather than perhaps the ungodly relatives that can be a great influence in the lives of our children in some circumstances. And you fathers, how can you develop a good relationship with your children? Start when children are young. Share duties with your wife and getting up with children at night. Hold them and cuddle them and laugh with them. Do things that you know they like and enjoy. That's how you develop relationships with them. All children like and need attention. Infants, toddlers, preschoolers, grade schoolers, adolescents, teenagers, young adults... We have to shift how we relate to that child, but we still need to have a relationship with them. It's a challenge, I know it. You know, as, as in, you know, my, my family's in a very different situation than what they were 30, 40 years ago, but I, I'm challenged that I still need to maintain those relationships. Don't do it as well as I should, but it is... Um, it is a great blessing. Show them you consider them important to you. But then as they grow into adulthood, treat them with increasing independence. And there comes a time when they establish their own home, but you're backing out. 
I'd like to put in a plug for a book that I would highly recommend for any parent, and that is Seven Things Children Need. That's the title. Seven Things Children Need, John M. Drescher. Uh, uh, an excellent book, an excellent book. Here's what he has to say that are important for a child. They need significance, and they need security, and they need acceptance, and they need love and praise and discipline and God. And those are things that you need to introduce into the experience of your child, especially you as fathers. You set the tone for your home. Give children what they need and they can develop into healthy, God-fearing adults. When those things are lacking, it has its effect, a detrimental effect, on the life of the child. Seven things children need. Significance, security, acceptance, love, praise, discipline, and God. And he goes on, I believe, to devote at least a chapter to each of those points. So, start when your children are young. I said, hold them and cuddle them. And I've, I've read, and I think it's very true, that there needs to be physical contact. I know that can, can go where it shouldn't, but hug your child, kiss them. Uh, it's, that is healthy in the development of a child. Be gentle in word and action. Anger has no place, has no place in relating to either a child or a spouse. Even if we start feeling hot under the collar, and that'll probably happen to every parent, we can still choose to respond kindly. We don't need to speak to every issue of life, but what you speak to, stick to, enforce. And here's where homes vary a bit. Um, just one example, you know, children can, can often work out the squabbles between themselves. It doesn't mean we should ignore everything. Don't allow a, an atmosphere of toxic hostility to be a part of your home. I don't. Deal with it. But children are going to get in each other's hair and say things. And some, sometimes we need to speak to it. Sometimes it's better not to. I, I don't know exactly how to define exactly where that line is. But I'm convinced that that is true. Don't allow an atmosphere of toxic hostility to exist in our homes. And I'll tell you what, 
That often starts in the relationships of parents. It's where the children pick it up. Children need help to understand the importance of learning good habits. No, don't be a helicopter, but teach them the importance of good habits, of personal hygiene and neatness and cheerfully completing their assignments of home and school. And um, Children can accept direction and assignments which are applied fairly and consistently. Figure out the things that your children enjoy and do it. Whether it's camping or reading stories or being thrown into the water or, you know, just little things that children, children will remember. Perhaps you can think back on in your life and maybe your parent was more or less involved in your life. But I hope that we all have things that we remember that make us smile. Create those moments for your children. Let your family into your life. Tell them about the things that happen in your day and hear from them the events of theirs. Makes a good topic of conversation at the supper table. <coughs> Ask questions that require more than a yes or no answer or a one-word answer. Get them to express their feelings. And you fathers. And you fathers. God has placed in your hand the hand of a person with an eternal destiny who will impact many others. Do your best. God bless you. Let's have a song.